0: hello hello everyone and welcome back to the dynasty wonderland podcast with me the mad chatter ryan mk don't forget at rmk madness on the social medias the twitters the grams and with me as always by my side the one and only the salary captain the march heron heron stewart what's up buddy
1: Oh, not much, man. Enjoyed having a vacation weekend here. Happy 4th of July weekend, everyone. Yes. Uh, well, I guess it's Monday, but I happy had belated. Yeah, a happy belated one. That's, that's right. why I got America, America <laughs> ball cap here. Um, I may or may not have gone and spent $30 just to have this hat to wear on our patriotic debate episode. Hell yeah, there
0: you go. Uh, I do not... Have a hat. I do have a red shirt and a blue and white hat, so it's gonna it's gonna have to do. <laughs> um, but yes, speaking of, uh, we got the happy belated Fourth of July. Uh, I had some fun with the kids and the wife. I uh, know vo- vacation per se, but a nice little Sunday for us. And in 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 that theme, later on in the pod, we have some Independence Day themed debates. Some America (laughs) debate. I have a hard time saying America. I'm sorry. Uh, So we do have, and you'll see when we get there. It's good stuff though. Aaron took care of the show sheet this week, did a great job, came up with some great topics to discuss. So I'm excited for that. But, 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 we must begin with a few other things. And before we get into the football side of the conversation, obviously, we once again have to just quickly hit the the playoffs real quick and because i gotta say i'm excited for the nba finals because the stanley cup finals has been a fucking disaster it's been terrible i t- just the goddamn tampa bay lightning and see there's a problem with the lightning they're way over the salary cap for the playoffs which in hockey is okay but it's fucked up because the lightning this whole year had this badass team and then they got to bring in their star nikita kucherov who was injured all year comes back for the playoffs makes them a hell of a much better team and they get to the finals and everybody figured the montreal canadians they weren't supposed to be there it was supposed to be the knights or the avalanche hey the canadians made it you figured they were going to put up a fight Whew. They damn near got swept, but but Aaron, tonight they did win game four, so there will be a game five. There will be no sweep. It could turn into a gentleman's sweep, as you know, but no sweep <laughs> of the Canadians thus far. They, that's out the book. So NHL playoffs, disappointing Stanley Cup final, but I am very excited for the NBA finals Two new teams are going to get a new brand new NBA champion on one side. You got the the fun Phoenix Suns and you got Chris Paul, who's been, you know, just waiting to get to this point. Right. Just right. waiting to get here. And then on the other side, you got Giannis, the Greek freak. And I, I personally like to see him get a ring as well, uh, because who knows how many chances he'll have and and. and it, unless he leaves Milwaukee at some point, but you got him banged up. So it doesn't look like he's going to be even available game one. So it, it's going to be an interesting series. And I, I can't say, I, I mean, if Giannis is, is not going to be close to hundred percent for most of the series, I don't see how Phoenix doesn't win this, but really, I just right. hope it's a good series and I'm up for whoever the fuck wins. To be honest, I'd be down for either team.
1: Absolutely. It's probably the, First time in man, maybe a decade that I've watched I'll be watching the NBA finals where I'm not like actively rooting against the team. Um, you know, that's usually <laughs> because I if I don't Excellent have a dog point. in the fight. <laughs> yeah, if I don't have a dog in the fight, I, I'm rooting for the underdog, or you know, usually what would be the nicer story. But yeah, I watched the Mike you know, the Phoenix Suns who have just been they've been in the basement of the NBA for well over a decade and then they finally started to put things together when the rest of the world decided to come to a complete stop and and it's nice to see that carry over and that that wasn't just some you know fluky yeah everyone's off their the schedule and everything it's it's nice to see like this is an up-and-coming team and then for milwaukee as well that that they're a small market team the nba is it's difficult being a small market team you have to you have to do everything correct. Everything. Scouting, drafting, mm-hmm. player development. And then that may not even be enough. Like you just hope that the star players you got that they're not just that they actually want to to be there. And and not most players don't. Most players they right. want to play for the Lakers, the well, Oklahoma Six.
0: Oklahoma City had Westbrook, Durant, and Harden. <laughs> yes. Like,
1: holy shit. And they couldn't keep them. They couldn't keep right. them. So, yeah. So, the small market teams are always at a disadvantage. The NBA tried to fix that oh, several, several years ago um, where they allowed, like when it gets time for rookies going into their first extension, or no, sorry, uh, any free agent can get an additional year and overall more money. From the team that they're on, but these players are smart. They they mm-hmm. know if they're good enough, and you've seen it with Durant and LeBron, they're not going and signing a four-year, five-year max contract. They're signing a one-year contract with a second-year option, so that they they can keep on. If, if things start to get bad, they're they're not locking themselves into a bad situation. Mm-hmm. They can leave whenever they want. That's smart on the players. Not going to knock them on that, but right. backfired on the NBA. But main point on this one: Bucks, Suns going to be a fun series i'm like wow i'd be okay with either team winning Mm -hmm. i'm with you though phoenix should handle this mainly because they're just quite frankly they're healthy right now Giannis has got the the thing going on with his knee if i'm not mistaken and that's just i know someone mentioned like the sun's entire playoff run each team they've gone through has dealt with something like their their opponents dealt with some major injury or something Mm. And that's, it's unfortunate, but you can't fault the Suns on that. Like, they're just, they're taking care of business.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, I'm rooting for Devin Booker and Chris Paul. You know, yes, in years past, like, I have, I have despised Chris Paul. (laughs) But the only thing I'm really missing on his, on his resume is a championship ring. And he proved everyone wrong because his, (laughs) me being the salary captain, his contract like just maybe a year ago or two years ago, just it was horrendous. Like Houston Rockets, the team he was on at the time, gave him a massive deal. He was making like $40 million, but he was starting to fall apart. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Like we have him on a four-year, four $160 million contract, and those players falling apart. Like Nobody's going to trade for that contract. And it's a nice redemption that he's been traded a couple of times since. But now with the Suns, he may—he was the piece that helped put it all together. His veteran leadership, and yep. being able to put Booker and Aitman in positions to succeed. He was clearly the missing link. I remember that trade happening and was like, "This, this is a, what, what? the hell are the Suns doing? Why are they trading for this guy?" But I thought it, it was shows weird too. A, It shows why I'm not a front office person there. And they, <laughs> um, they clearly, they clearly. Um, Diagnosed their their roster correctly. <laughs> they were just one veteran point guard away. So love mm-hmm. it. But we'll have a fun series. Milwaukee can go super big with their lineup and I'd like right. to see that.
0: It'll be an interesting series, and I know that I've heard a little bit of the, you know, it hurts the NBA when there's not like an L.A., New York type teams in there. And I'm I'm like, I don't know. You see a lot of NBA fans, a lot of basketball fans like this is better because we don't have like just this team that we figure is going to win. Like <laughs> we don't like this is going to be an interesting series. It'd be more fun if Giannis was completely healthy and ready to go game one. But uh, hopefully he gets mostly healthy and finds his way back game two or three. Right. Let's uh, let's have a fun series. But uh, absolutely. yes.
2: absolutely.
0: OK, so. Other sports out the way, we get into some random football thoughts with things going on. We'll just kind of fire through some of these. Uh, the first one, um, to Mary and Terry, released by Seattle, um, along with the coming out of information pertaining to uh, him being charged with murder. I went along uh, the long route of getting that out of my mouth, but there you go. You have it. So apparently was involved in this nightclub shooting along with several other people, uh, and multiple people died and it's fucking crazy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you go, okay, well there's, there had to have been, that had to have been known, you know, it makes sense now, but it's, uh, It's just a shame, man. You hate to see that shit, but I don't really have much on it. It's just kind of just a sad story all around when you read about it. And, uh, I mean, obviously, (laughs) Seattle did what they had to do. But it does kind of surprise me anybody took a chance on him if it was known this kind of shit was hanging over his head. But uh, there you go. That's goodbye, Mr. Terry.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure if teams knew – the this specific case, it's it was probably just more of they were aware of possible involvement with games, or you know, like they they do all these different testing with uh, with athletes and interview process, and of course the most most well known one is the Darius guys, which we've both talked about in the past. Right. We've been burned by them, and we're like, oh, and stuff comes out. It's like the character concern. Like this, it's such a vague uh, statement to make about an athlete, but we could see that obviously there was some character concerns for Tamari and Terry. So both you and I, we looked at the profile. We looked at the player and we go, how does, how does a guy that played at a big school, he played at Florida State. How does he go undrafted? Clearly there were some character concerns on this, the this most extreme case and not trying not to take anything away from the situation both of us play a lot of dynasty football. We always try to like work better on our craft. There's, there's a reason that I was, I, I had him on a watch list uh, on, on teams, but I wasn't, I wasn't going and using like a fifth round pick or anything. I was kind of watching. And I was like, I need to see him make the team. But you know, part of right. it was like, I know he's got talent, but he was undrafted at a big school. Something's just not right. I was like, mm. I need to be patient. <laughs> He was probably my number one target. I was like, okay, if I can get a roster spot, I'll take a flyer on him. And then right. the same day the news came out, I was like, holy moly!
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: you, you hate it—a guy that you you finally get a chance to make money, life-changing money—and sometimes you just these some of these guys can't escape from from their past and. You know, you you hear about the success stories and players going. You know, if it wasn't football, I would have I would be on the streets. I'd probably be dead. It's probably one of the sadder cases where a guy just couldn't quite leave that that life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, you hate it. You hate it. I think going forward, you know, there was another undrafted Seattle um, rookie receiver that you and I both liked too, and I remember we had a we had a, a good back and forth on why those. To Marion Terry and the other guy, Kate Johnson would be uh, an interesting flyer there. And, mm-hmm. and now that this should help Cave Johnson, he's he's a very right. talented receiver. And Terry oh, would have yeah. been perfect. He would have been a DK Metcalf guy. But if I, and I kind of penciled him in to, to make the fifty-three man roster. If he doesn't, open store for a guy like Cave Johnson to make it. And that guy, he he can make plays in the return game and has that chance to you know. Be the undrafted guy. You make the rosters to the fifth, sixth receiver. You keep getting better. And, you know, if you have patience with him in Dynasty, don't expect anything year one, but maybe year two, year three, starts to work his way up that depth chart.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Very good point. Very good point. And I'll move on. I don't really have anything else to add to that, but very good point on Kate. And now we go next to Hard Knocks. We're getting another edition of Hard Knocks. This one featuring America's team. America's team. That should give you a hint what we got coming later on for Independence Day themed debates. But the Cowboys are going to be on hard knocks. And this should be, well, it should be interesting. It should be interesting, especially because they, they got to do some damage this year. They can't fuck around this year. Dax coming back, they 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 gotta get they gotta make some noise, they gotta get to the playoffs and make some noise. And uh and I, I believe we'll see a, a a good effort out of their offense. So, but overall, the cowboys on the
1: hard knocks should make for entertaining show. I agree just real quick on that one. I mean, love them or hate them with the Dallas Cowboys. I think everyone has to agree that for hard knocks, which all of us it's our guilty pleasure of, of enjoying that show the cowboys are just they're always the perfect team if if they could do hard knocks on the cowboys each year i don't think anyone would, would complain cuz probably not <laughs> yeah i've i have had my questions i live in texas i i am a cowboys fan but it drives me nuts what they do <laughs> because they they are very much they're very much the the lakers of the nfl you know it's they they cling to that star and all the stuff they right. did in the 90s. <laughs> and quite frankly, in my time of really following the Cowboys, they haven't done Dilly squats. Right. So you know, they're starting to lose some fans. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been Kyler Murray, who it was born oh, yeah. in Texas, had the quote where he's like, No, not a Cowboys fan. They've always sucked. So right. we are reaching that time now where young NFL players that watch they love the NFL and they watch the NFL growing up, but you're right. Like when you've got to do America's team like that, they, they another decade of what they've done since the turn of the century, they won't be America's team right. much longer.
0: I agree. And continuing on, continuing on with Dallas, they got some OTA violations along with a few other teams, such as San Francisco and Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville doesn't necessarily surprise me. You got Urban Meyer in their first year. But it, what do you got pertaining to these OTA violations? Anything, Aaron?
1: I, the Jacksonville one made me chuckle a little bit because it's Urban Meyer <laughs> stepping right, in. Right, right. I don't know if that's um, – just swinging a big dick around and saying that i don't care about nfl rules you know like because in Something college like that, it that those coaches yeah those coaches do whatever they want and it's just oh i i don't even know if i got the right oh no that, that's a different find that we'll be talking about but i don't even know what they necessarily did that's like is it they because I know sometimes they're allowed to practice a pad, sometimes not. I just I saw it. I was like, a course, like Dallas doesn't surprise. Me. Maybe San Francisco's the those most are surprising. the kind of
0: violations they're talking about. So I imagine they're just probably getting worked harder than they're supposed to doing drills and shit. They're not supposed to yet. I imagine it's along the lines of that. And, and yeah, you look at the teams, Jacksonville urban meyer in there like i said first year college yeah. coach hot shit he you know and then you got teams like dallas san francisco to me those are teams that are probably feeling some pressure you know you know yeah san francisco's got to make some noise this year again dallas needs to make so i i guess i could see how maybe they could uh you know maybe step over the line a little bit and
1: they got busted right and probably my, my last statement on that i noticed too with all three of those teams you have of course, Dallas here in Texas. It's it's summertime in Texas. It's hasn't been nearly as bad as it typically is. We've had a lot of rain, but nice. it's humid. Jacksonville right. is hot, miserable. It's humid, and San Francisco on the West Coast. It's hot. <laughs> I don't really know if it's humid. I've never been to the West Coast. No, nah, it's, it, it's not humid. I just I noticed all three all three teams are teams where like practicing and some it's not not like. A, a, up in the north, northeast. Um, mm-hmm. I know the weather up in this northwest has been, has been um, atypical. Yeah. <laughs> it's been ridiculously hot. But I, I I wonder if maybe some of these OTA violations, I really can't find any specific details, but I wonder if it has something to do with, like, temperature, where, you know, maybe those northern teams, it's not nearly as bad. But, like, if they have, like, some temperature um, regulations. So these teams right. – like they're trying to get practice and stuff to keep up with the competition. I don't know, I'm spe- it's honestly speculation on that one, but Right. Like two at least two of those three teams, Dallas and Jacksonville, uh they're you could probably characterize characterize them as being um pretty undisciplined, you know, like you Right. I would be shocked to hear this about like the Patriots and Bill right. Belichick. When when I saw those teams, was like, oh, of course Dallas and Jacksonville would do something stupid. San Francisco really can't explain either. Besides, you probably brought a pretty good point there of they're feeling pressure. They got a rookie quarterback, and they, oh, they sacrificed the next two years of their first rounds there. So right, they're putting the whole future there. So be interesting. Yeah, They won't stop them.
2: fine, or no, $100,000 fines. Nah. Nah.
0: Speaking of fines, the Washington football team was fined as well. but This was $10 million after that investigation into the workplace culture, you know, about the issues with Washington under Dan Snyder. So I guess that – I mean, good, but I mean, I it just, it's, it feels like more football. Like I, I just, I, sometimes when it comes to the players, teams, everything, just disciplinary action by the NFL, sometimes just it's weird to me because it's just the, there's not a lot of consistency to it. And it, not saying I know what should be the penalty here for this shit, but it's just kind of like, okay. 10 million after the investment, whatever.
1: (laughs) And, and you know, Dan Snyder, his net worth is $2.6 billion. Right. Nobody wants to lose $10 million. But what does this really do? Like, does does it change anything? Like, if they really wanted to make the change, like the, the NBA had, oh, this was what, a decade, almost a decade ago. The, the Donald Sterling thing. With the Clippers. Oh yeah, like the NFL, if they really wanted to change this thing, because honestly, a lot of just shady stuff was happening under the watch of Dan Snyder. Why don't? Why doesn't the NFL just do what the NBA did with Sterling and force him to sell? And and you know what? I wouldn't even like. Don't even feel bad for the owner of this one when it happened with Sterling and the Clippers. It. it Sterling came out as a thief, you know, he mm-hmm. bought, bought the team for a, a pretty cheap price back whenever he bought the Clippers and ended up selling it for just, it was, I think it was the, at that time, the largest NBA sales. So I'm pretty sure right. NFL team, if NFL team had to sell. So I don't, I'm sure the NFL has got some, something in their constitution prevents them from doing that. And the NBA was in a, unique situation because they had just gotten a new commissioner that could at that time that could go in. And that was like, you know, his big move to kind of plant his flag and be like, this is what I've done for the NBA. But Dan right. Snyder just, golly, what a what a piece of crap you would be.
0: Yep. Total shithead. But as it, with the NBA, I think they're, they're always a little bit ahead of things, a little bit, yeah. you know, more progressive when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I see it being pretty tough for the NFL to remove one of their owners just because it just does right. seem much more like kind of like a good old boys club almost, you know? And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that would be ideal get rid of this fucking dude. But I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, just his insistence to hang on to the, the, the Redskins name for so long is just like, I don't know. There's just a lot, there's so much crap to that as but you Know, I he's losing 10 million dollars. <laughs> I guess that's something, uh, yeah. Anyway, we move on. The last little bit of news Baker extension talks could extend into the fall. To me, this is no surprise. I'm not worried at all if this is worrying any Baker fan. I don't, th- there's a couple of things I have to say about this. Number one, I do think. Coaches, front offices, they could be at a point where they might want to see a bit more from their quarterbacks before doing this extension. You look at a guy like Jared Goff and the way the Rams did it, when they did it, the amount they did it for. And, you know, that was part of their whole deal with Detroit was they had to give up something essentially to get them to take Goff you know, and, and that contract. And um, so I I think some coaches front offices might be a little more wary, want to take their time. And, you know, with Baker, he showed promise year one struggled year two, but then played well last year and he got better throughout the year. So they might want to say, okay, let's see a little more. But I also think this could be, also Baker or completely Baker and his agent, because you got to think who else was in that class. You got Lamar Jackson. You got Josh Allen. They're all going to get new contracts. Now I believe, and this, now I've heard this on, I think pro football talk was where I heard Florio and people talking about it, but there's a good chance Lamar Jackson is going to get his done for. He has no agent, right? He's representing himself. There's a good right. chance they're going to get this worked out. And then you'll see Baker and Josh Allen come. So what I think is a large part of this is just Baker, along with Josh Allen, is like, that's fine. I'll wait because I'd i rather have Lamar sign his shit first anyway. So I think that's right. a, a could be a big part of it as well. Uh but that's where I come in on this. So it, it doesn't bother me at all. I it, you know and we spoke a little bit about our boy Chris the EDG, you know, we spoke about him off-pod before we started recording and uh, you know, I'm going to come at him a little bit next time he comes on. We're going to have him on probably next month and I'm, I'm going to come at him with my baker shit. You know, I felt like I, I you know, I let him come at me a little bit last time with my baker stuff. I'm going to come back at him this time. So I'm really high on Baker going into this in this 2021 season so I I think he's going to get his extension I think he's going to be fine I think he's going to have a great year and I'm excited for him and the Browns so that's what
1: I got absolutely and you hit the most important thing um, with with the Baker Mayfield contract is that it's not as very little to do with the Browns and Baker Mayfield it has everything to do with those two other quarterbacks that are waiting for extensions in Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. And, and this is a game of, I guarantee that want to get that extension done. If they could get the extension done right now, they would, because it would would benefit them. Uh, But Baker's camp knows that they need to let Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. I don't, my guess would be, Josh Allen probably signs his first. He was the one that had the most recent big season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his and his team was so close to being to being a Super Bowl contender. Right. And and once the dominoes fall, Baker Mayfield's camp knows that the other two quarterbacks, Allen and Jackson, they're more likely to reset the quarterback market. Right mm-hmm. And and I say that each year the quarterback market gets reset. It's always a new deal. Um <laughs> I guess. The only only one that didn't really reset... Patrick Mahomes is an exception because nobody's getting that type of contract. Yeah. Or I guess if someone does, Josh Allen has been on record as saying that he would like to sign a team-friendly deal. A team-friendly deal is exactly what Patrick Mahomes' massive $450 million contract is. So going forward, people are watching this. Browns fans, and Browns fans love Baker Mayfield. I love Baker Mayfield. I think... He is one of those quarterbacks that is better in real life in in NFL football and a much better option in a league format like Scott Fishbowl than Mm. like regular fantasy football. But Baker Mayfield and his camp, they're they're the ones that are telling the Browns, yeah, we'll wait. We'll we'll go into the fall. Not not a problem because they want one of those other two guys to reset the market. So – It'll be interesting. I, I wonder what negotiations the Browns do because I doubt the Browns are just like, yeah, well, we'll wait, we'll wait. Right. It's it's quite interesting. At the end of the day, all three guys are going to sign extensions. They're going to be happy. Oh yeah. And whoever gets whoever gets the the extension done earlier is going to be the team that wins. Um, so Buffalo would be my guess on that one. I think. It seems that Allen is more focused on winning and team and everything. And good for him on that one. Like, mm. these quarterbacks know they can make their money elsewhere. And if they right. can sign a, a friendly deal like Mahomes did and it allows you to keep guys or rebuild your entire offensive line in one offseason because of your contract's flexibility, then awesome. So. But Baker, right. my guess, would be the last one to sign, mainly because of money. Which, right. No worries on that one. If I'm in this spot, I'll be doing the same thing.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, before we take our break, we do have to mention. I mean, it's no longer technically July 5th. I think we're getting into July 6th for you now, about there oh, for yeah. me. <laughs> Full transparency, late Monday, not recording. And we begin on the 5th, not the 6th, obviously. <laughs> We began the Scott Fishbowl draft. We're going fishing, buddy. We going are fishing, fishing. and I'm so excited! Oh, that's <laughs> fucking awesome. That is fucking awesome. Um, yeah, man, it's it's been cool. Uh, um, I've really enjoyed like uh, just seeing just how it, it's all working and how into it people get with it. Hey, let's get a group chat for this and a group chat for that. And it's been, um, it's been fun, man. And then you get into the draft and uh, I of course am in the corn division. I took the number 12 draft spot. So I had obviously the one twelve, the 2-1, and then with the third round reversal had the 3-1. And I started off with my first two picks going Justin Herbert, quarterback, and George Kittle, tight end. And that was my plan, was to try and go QB, tight end right there. Was hoping I could get my hands on Darren Waller. It was not to be. But that's fine. Kittle, Herbert, good to go. Comes back around to me and... I'm looking at quarterbacks. I'm looking at tight ends. It's appetizing because of what they, what they mean in this league. But I also see Cam Akers sitting there. And so I had to, I had to ask for more advice from my friend Aaron, really, because I needed some advice on, on the previous. But I had to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm feeling Cam Akers, What you think, hell Yeah. Hell yeah, says the March Heron. So there we go. I'm sitting here. We're early in the fourth round. I'm obviously going to be at four twelve. So I'm sitting waiting about five or six more picks. Get there tomorrow. But my first three picks, I'm pretty fucking happy with what I got. Herbert, Kittle, Akers, I feel good thus far. What about you, Mr. Heron? All
1: right. So I am in the good old queen division. I'm for me, Queen, you can never top that band what they were able to do. And just the fact that their music, we are now in the 20s, uh, let's see, what, what we call this, the 20s? It's weird saying that because we think of the 1920s, but we're in the 20s, in the 21st century. That's how we'll say it. And anytime a team, a sporting team, wins a championship, what do they play? We are the champions. We Queen just-
2: are the champions. champions. My friends.
1: So it's an awesome division. Uh shout out to our group chat here on on Twitter. Queen Division has been awesome. It's been it's a lot of fun, a lot of funny stuff there. And I'm actually sitting there, I'm pulled up the 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 draft board. What's been killing me is the pick before me has been on the clock now for a while. And I know I'm not gonna get to pick tonight, but I've just been sitting there and I've been just refresh, refresh, refresh. I've been <laughs> waiting for it. So we have made it all the way to the fourth round. We hit it. We hit the ground running. Got through the first round really quick. Second, third round pretty quick as well. We've kind of mm. slowed down as we got in the fourth round. But I mean, we were we were almost in the third round. And I look at some of the other um, some of the other divisions in the conference were still like middle of the first round. I'm like, oh my gosh. I would just <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to handle it, but I have the ninth pick. In the first round, I ended up going Russell Wilson. And what just killed me is I remember the first six picks were pretty straightforward. There was actually four quarterbacks, McCaffrey and Kelsey. And so there were two picks that I was like, I would love to have them at the 109. One being my boy Darren Waller, that I have called a Scott Fishbowl cheat code. Um, when we started doing some of our early mock drafts with the Roto Underworld game, mm-hmm. he went 107. And then the other one was Kyler Murray because I was like, holy moly, if Dak Prescott was one of the four quarterbacks that went, Kyler Murray was falling. I was like, I would love to get Kyler Murray. But he went 108. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so my first big decision at 109 was between Russell Wilson and Dalvin Cook. I was like, oh, man, Dalvin Cook's good. I'm a little worried, you and I, and I'm <sighs> on an episode a couple of months ago I talked about these running backs that have like back-to-back stud fantasy seasons top five like it's not pretty it is hard to be a running back that's that productive and Aaron Johnson Dalvin Cook those are two guys back-to-back top five seasons and some of the things you look at in the past Todd Gurley Le'Veon Bell uh David Johnson these these guys once they have like having back-to-back great seasons it's almost impossible for him to do a third season. Like it's so much wear and tear on a running back. And Dalvin Cook's already dealing with injuries. So that was kind of it for me. I was like, I'm going to go Russell Wilson because he's a quarterback. He's got just enough mobility, mainly for the first downs. I was like, I I like that. Kind of a safe pick. Came back around the second round, and I opted to go running back with Ezekiel Elliott. But actually, (laughs) the pick right before me was what I really, really wanted. Because you talked about tight ends. And I'm looking at Josh Larkey, Scott Fishbowl uh, rankings there. And I wanted George Kittle. It would have been a slight reach, but some of the ways my brain works when I'm looking at this is I like to go with positions and see how much of a gap there was. And there was a pretty sizable tier gap between George Kittle and the next, uh, I think I said running back, but met tight end. There was a sizable gap between Kittle and the next tight end in Kyle Pitts. It's like, I'll take Kittle, maybe a little reach where, um, where I would draft him, but I would have succeeded getting one of the top three tight ends. I'd be happy. Kittle went the pick right before I was like, oh. so I settled for Zeke it's running backs safe. My preparation going in, I knew in the first three rounds that I would probably have one running back, just one, um, Zeke is still – he's going to be on Dallas Cowboys offense. They're going to have some nice games to play. Zeke gets a large workload. We love Tony Pollard, but Zeke's – Zeke got paid. Zeke's going to eat. So, came back around to the third round. I was ecstatic on this one. I, I gambled because I debated quarterback in the second round. I was like, ooh, there's there still be a good one? And we had a little bit of a run. The second round, there was Tana Hill and Tom Brady went off the board. And the start of the third round, everyone pounded quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, which left me with probably the guy I have touted the most for 2021, one Mr. Jalen Hurts sitting there in the third round. I loved it. I was like, I got Russell Wilson and Jalen Hurts let's go. Got my two QBs. I was ecstatic and started game planning for what I do in the fourth round. And I tilted for a minute, just for a minute, because I always, when it gets close to my pick, like three picks out, I I put four players on the board so that I know no matter what, I'm going to have a guy left. I know that it's down to those four guys. I got down to two picks before my pick. And I have my list down to actually three players. Um, Michael Thomas is still on the board. We've seen eight receivers drafted. Michael Thomas is still on the board. People are hating on Michael Thomas. Like he's becoming a massive park. Mm. For, there's one intriguing running back, DeAndre Swift. Love me some DeAndre Swift. And then the other one was my heartbreaker. It was DK Metcalf.
2: Oh, yeah. I was like
1: I have Russell Wilson in the first round mm-hmm. and and I thought in trying to kind of predict um what may happen I was like Michael Thomas is on the board they like he's going to go like he's going to go before Metcalf so I was like I think I, I was really preparing myself for two picks DK Metcalf so I could get my stack DeAndre Swift because there's a there's a big old gap between him and the next running back Mm. so i was like it's got to be one of those two guys michael thomas is going to be one of these next two picks and then two picks before my pick dk metcalf got drafted and the next pick i have been waiting for hours which has just been agony <laughs> me because i've been like i was two picks away oh, from no. an awesome qb wide receiver stack and scott fishbowl right uh, somewhere out there josh Larkey. Um, who's actually going to be our next guest on the show. Yes, sir. He's just out there shaking his head in disappointment. And, and, <laughs> and probably the e- EDG shaking his head in disappointment that I couldn't get the stack there. But
2: right. the positives,
1: yeah. for me to get Jalen Hurts in the third round, <gasps> we want upside in Scott Fishbowl. I have, I have planted my flag back in February, Jalen Hurts to be the QB1. So in the biggest most important fantasy football league of the year. Ride or die. If there I'm you right, go. I get to, it probably puts me in the playoffs. If I'm wrong, then I'll end up sucking in Scott fishbowl, which I'm fully expecting to be sucking in Scott fishbowl.
0: Right. I know he was one of the QBs there. I think that was available that I liked, but uh, yeah, when acres, so Hey, I think we're both fairly happy with what you're at. You might feel better after you finally get to make your pick tomorrow.
1: (laughs) It's been eating at me. I'm like, pick already. Wake up. Wake up, Leah Hooper, who is a fan. I don't, (laughs) I don't, she probably doesn't listen to the show, but Leah, I'm calling you out. Make your pick so I can pick already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. With that said, uh, it's good to be fishing. That's all I'm going to say. good to be fishing. First year in for both of us. We're having fun. You'll be having more fun tomorrow after we pick. <laughs> I'll go bring it in. Come on, Leia. All right. We're going to get into a quick break. And then we bring it back for some independence or patriotic debates. That's what we got going on. Sound good, Aaron? Sounds good. All right. Let's do it. We'll be back. We are back. We are back getting ready for these debates, these July 4th themed debates. Okay, Aaron, and this is how it's going to work. So, we go into these topics. We each have a side we're going to take, even if we don't agree, because there are a few of those, I think, for both of us. And We're going to work our way through this and have a nice, friendly debate. we got a handful of topics, and uh, we begin with, of course, the Patriots, the New England Patriots, right? Right. If you see what we're doing here, right? Uh, And who is the preferred tight end in New England? Is it Johnu Smith or Hunter Henry? Aaron, I will let you begin this one. You have the Johnu Smith side, which is such fitting and perfect which, in, in every way. So please begin.
1: So for people listening, real quick, it was randomized. Ryan and I knew the the two sides there, mention, yes. And we randomized it. So no, I didn't choose Johnu Smith for for myself. But of course, we know I'm the president of the Super Johnnie Fan Club. And you're also in trouble because I've got my tie here, my, my tie with penguins I'm professional, so let's get and down. Fear neither
0: thing. ties nor penguins, my friend.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> well, that'll be, a, that'll be the, the last debate. <laughs> but to get into business with Johnny Smith, mm. Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry both signed similar contracts with the Patriots. Big money deals. It was the, the two largest tight end contracts signed this free agency. And most people like to have the take of, I'm just going to avoid both tight ends. And that's dumb because the the realistic part about these signings here is that the offense is going to go through both tight ends. The reason I like W. Smith more is you look at last season, they both averaged around the same amount of fantasy points. For Jonu Smith, it was 10.0 fantasy points per game. Hunter Henry, a little bit higher, 10.4 fantasy points per game. But as I mentioned, they're both in the same position of they're joining new teams. In fact, the same team. Hunter Henry, the reason he was a top 12 fantasy football tight end last year is you go to player profiler and you look at all the metrics from last season. He was top 10 in the opportunity metrics. He was fed a lot. He will be featured heavily in the Patriots offense. If you look at John Smith, though, not so much the opportunity metrics. Um, a little disappointing, quite frankly. And, and looking back on the season, The reason he was able to have the season he did was thanks to the nine touchdowns he had last year. But where Jonu Smith excelled was, you go down to the efficiency metrics. Jonu Smith is top 10 in just about all the efficiency metrics. There's one efficiency metric in particular, production premium. For people that aren't familiar with what this advanced stat is, I quote, it is used when a player's supporting cast changes. And it's helpful because it measures capabilities across league average situations. To paraphrase, to put in maybe my own words here, players that have good production premiums, these are the types of players you can put in different situations. And they're more likely to continue to succeed if they had than um, players. And I've struggled in this one. Hunter Henry was by no means bad at this. He finished with a negative 6.9. The negative number doesn't mean so much. So it just means he's a little below average. Uh, he's a little bit below your average tight end in those situations. It's still ranked number 17. So there's 32 starting tight ends. And he's still in the top half. Jonu Smith had a plus 7.2 production premium. That was number eight. Now, both these tight ends, they're going to have volume in this offense. And even if Hunter Henry gets a slight edge in... The targets, the the, the receptions, like Johnu Smith has shown the past two seasons that he can be involved in an offense. In this case, the Tennessee Titans, and he can maximize what his opportunity, what he does with his opportunities. So we show with the with the nine touchdowns, he was heavily involved in the red zone. In fact, last season he had 18 red zone targets. That was number five amongst Titans. And probably even more impressive was player profiler tracks, not just a target share, but a red zone target share. So you get within 20 yards of scoring. His red zone target share was 30 and a half percent. Over 30% is ridiculous. For wide receivers, Devonte Adams had a 42% red zone target share. And that was just way ahead of everyone else. But back to tight ends. There was only two tight ends in the entire NFL that had a higher red zone target share and, and most importantly, more targets. Cause sometimes you get the one, you get a tight end that has one target. It happens to be in the red zone. So he has a hundred percent red zone target share, something crazy like that. Darren Waller and Mark Andrews were the only two tight ends that exceeded that 30 and percent red zone target share and had more than the 18 red zone targets that Jonathan Smith had. Johnu's role is going to be clear when they get to the red zone, he is going to be involved. And with tight ends, we saw it with Robert Tanyan and having a top five season. Scoring the, scoring the touchdowns matters. I think John Smith has a higher touchdown potential than Hunter Henry. Henry may beat him in the receptions and he may beat him in the yards. But I think John Smith could easily double Hunter Henry's red zone or, sorry, his, his touchdowns. We've also seen Jonu Smith past two seasons. He's finished top ten in two really impressive efficiency metrics: fantasy points per route run, fantasy points per target. Like I say with Hunter Henry, he may get more work. Jonu Smith has shown that he's capable of maximizing the work he does get. So that is my Jonu Smith case. Me and my penguin tie. We cede the floor to you, good sir. Okay.
2: Now, I may
0: regurgitate some of what you said, because I will also point to some of those same metrics. I am obviously going with Hunter Henry. He's been very productive throughout his career. He, 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 you know, John Smith, when you look at him, okay, actually, I'm going to continue with Hunter Henry first. Sorry. In 2020, top 10 in Snapshare, Pass plays per game, routes, targets, and air yards. Something you mentioned. Johnu Smith had the edge in efficiency, as you also talked about. Primarily used in the red zone, however. Right? Okay. You talked about that as well. The red zone targets. Fifth with 18. Total touchdowns. Third with nine. You mentioned the nine touchdowns. Okay. But that's in 2020. At 2019, not so much. Okay. And Henry... Played all over the field. Six and slot snaps. I understand what you're saying about touchdowns. However, Hunter Henry was also 13th in red zone targets. 16th in average target distance. He's got, he can do, he is used in quite a few ways. Now also, I would say Johnny might be Bill's dream tight end, but I could see Hunter Henry actually being pro, more productive. I agree. Potentially Johnnie gets more touchdowns, but you mentioned efficiency, and this is one of the areas I'm going to push back a little bit, because if you actually go to Hunter Henry's 2019 and look at his efficiency there it's much more impressive. You mentioned production premium. He was fourth at the position in 2019 with a plus 14.5. So it's not like he's the efficiency is not there. Um but you you look at the efficiency and stats like target premium, target distance, average target distance much better for him in 2019 than in 2020. So I don't think the, the the less efficiency in 2020 is all on him. I think they both have the potential to be really good. And I do agree, Johnu will probably get the edge in the red zone. But I feel like Bill's going to be, and not that Johnu can't be utilized in other ways, but it's, it's just that we've seen Hunter Henry be pretty productive and used in different ways uh, throughout his time in the nfl and so i think bill will be able to do a lot with him in the passing game and
2: let's face it john who can block right did you freeze oh there
1: we go on my i heard most most of the the (laughs) final like 15 seconds there it froze just for transparency so i was like we're gonna wait for it to come back, and it came okay, back. So. I got, I got all the all the points. So, and I knew that's what was gonna happen. as right as it came back, there would be awkward <laughs> response. So, I I like did. that you pulled up the twenty nineteen. Oh, sorry.
0: Uh, no, I just was gonna say real quick before you get. I, <laughs> literally, it, in the first segment, it happened twice. You but but it was like very brief, just a second or two, and I was like. Okay. So I, I didn't even know that time until I was like, wait a minute, I think he's frozen. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. Aaron.
1: But um and and all I want to mention on these is for people listening to this podcast, we are trying to choose some of these really difficult things that I I find that most shows don't really discuss. So when we talk about a John Aaron e. Smith and Hunter Henry, I hope that people listening to both sides here can can use these the two sides of the debate to maybe make an actual decision. Cause nothing's worse than just sitting on the fence and not leaning one way or the other. We have to, I mean, we have to make a decision on these players. We have to make a stand. And, and I think we both brought the good, the, the arguments for both of these players here and, and we could still like these guys, but this is, this is what our, our plan, our intention is. For the debate we just had, the upcoming ones we have, so we hope that the listeners here are going to love this information and can make a decision. Vote for John and him, 2021.
0: Well, shit, we talked <laughs> about this. <laughs> that was very, very good. Era. But we talked about this off pod, man. I that, like this has helped us. This has at least helped me. It's opened my eyes to some things because this is one of the ones where going in, I would go i probably leaned Janu. And then after doing the research and looking into it further and having this debate, I'm close to do a 50-50. I could see it going either way. You know, whereas before I was on your, in your camp more, like this wasn't the ones where I was like, man, I can't believe I got Hunter Henry. I was like, okay, that's cool. But I, I definitely probably would have leaned Janu. And now, like I said, I'm more 50-50. So I think uh, this, this is good healthy information all
1: around exactly and people that follow me know that i'm i would absolutely choose a john new a pro john new smith side of an argument but i promise i did not rig the randomizer there will be some of the debates where maybe i'm in the more uncomfortable unnatural position of defending something that i haven't really defended before so i'm up for our next debate if you are sir. I
0: am. And speaking of what you just said, that's exactly what I'm about to fucking do. This is going to tell you right now that this ship was not rigged or just given to anybody because we have, quote unquote, America's team, as I mentioned previously in the pod, the Dallas Cowboys. They're back in our lives for some more. And uh, we have the debate, Amari Cooper versus C.D. Lamb. And if you listen to this pod, you know, my adoration for a one, Mister Cd Lamb. However, in this debate, I'm arguing for fucking Amari Cooper, and I'm not fucking happy about it. But I'm gonna do it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Goddamn randomizers. Okay. So it's okay. It's good for me. I did. I need. I need to try and go against my natural. Okay. We're going Amari Cooper. Here's what. Here's why. We know Dallas. They're not gonna move on yet the contract. We've spoke about that on previous episodes. So, you also look at the situation. Dak Prescott coming back, but I mean, in all reality, how much did he actually get to work with C.D. Lamb last year? So, of course, he's going to you know continue to build rapport with him this year, but still as of this point, his strongest connection would have to be with Amari Cooper. And while I do believe C.D. Lamb is ascending this year, and by the end of the year, he will be solidified as the number one, as much as I believe that, by the end of the year, it's still more likely that Amari Cooper finishes higher in fantasy points. Because as C.D. Lamb ascends, something I hadn't even thought about, the attention defensively could then certainly shift more towards him, you know, which could really fucking open things up for Cooper. So I do feel like this is a situation where they were per- pretty close in their finish last year. It's probably going to be the same this year. I don't know. If who really truly has the edge to be honest, but I'm going Cooper here as just the incumbent guy and the chemistry with Dak. And yes, again, CD lamb will rise and maybe I'm right. And he will be that guy by the end of the year, but it's going to take an ascension. So Cooper's going to get his, he's going to finish higher. That's what I'm going to go with uh, uh, if I'm going to take this Amari Cooper stance. Um, but, but I still want C.D. Lamb more in Dynasty because I love him oh so much. Okay, thank you, Aaron. You can go.
1: <laughs> so in taking the C.D. Lamb side, the reason that this is our Dallas Cowboy argument, America's here, right? America hat, 4th of July that we're doing a podcast on July 6th. The reason we chose these two is if you look at ADPs, they are neck and neck. They, it, mm. Most people, I feel, haven't really made this. and They just kind of group these two guys together. They're like, yeah, I want a piece of the Cowboys offense. I don't know which guy it's going to be. Here are the reasons why I'm going to build a case for C.D. Lamb. They're at the start of the season before the devastating broken ankle for Dak Prescott. Cooper was to Targeted a ridiculous amount. His target share, there is no debating and no questioning what, that his target share was so much more than C.D. Lamb's. Lamb was also a rookie, still getting kind of growing into his role and having to work his way up the depth chart. There was still even Michael Gallup that that was in the way. So C.D. Lamb was restricted to primarily slot snaps. Now, over the course of the season, as most good rookies are going to do, they're talented. They're going to force their way to get on the field. And we did start to see that with CD Lamb. One of the most impressive numbers that, that I found of last season is that CD Lamb did play a lot in the slot. In fact, he more than tripled Amari Cooper slot snaps. CD Lamb had 621 slot snaps. Amari Cooper had 201. That was not the interesting stat. What was, though, is their average target distance. You would think the player is in the slot. They're usually catching some short passes, and they'd be able to, I mean, what we're thinking, like a, you know, maybe a former cowboy like Cole Beasley. If they're primarily working the slot, they're not going to have a high, a high average target distance. The CeeDee Lamb's 9.1 was actually greater than Amari Cooper's 8.7. That was stunning to me. Cooper is a guy that plays primarily outside. Why Why is Lamb's average target share greater than Amari Cooper's? Turns out that he also, that C.D. Lamb has more deep targets than Amari Cooper. C.D. Lamb actually had 19. So Lamb is not just a slot receiver. Yes, he played primarily in the slot last year, but he is a capable receiver of making that second year leap. We look at some of the efficiency stats as well. The target premium and production premium favor CD Lamb. In fact, he finished in top 32 in both of those efficiency metrics, which, which are key stats, especially with a Dak Prescott returning to the lineup, especially the target premium. You'd imagine that Dak Prescott throwing the football instead of a Garrett Gilbert or a Ben DiNucci. De,
2: I think the the guy that started
1: for a game. It's a Ben DiNucci. Honestly, pretty impressive that CeeDee Lamb was top (coughs) 32 in target premium. And with the production premium, the supporting cast is definitely changing because we have Dak Prescott back. We also have Blake Jarwin, too. But I like that CeeDee Lamb has that advantage because on the other side, Amari Cooper struggled in both of those. He finished outside the top 40 in both of those efficiency metrics. Now, Cooper absolutely got more volume. But that huge advantage he had in those first five games with Dak, it was kind of a little closer. By the end of the season, both receivers topped 100 targets. Amari Cooper had – I actually don't have the numbers. I'm pulling them up as we speak. I know they both exceeded 100. Amari Cooper had a hundred and – 130 targets, which was good for number 12. Now, CD Lamb also saw 100 targets. He had 109, a difference of 21. But if you look at the first five games, I'm not going to look at those numbers there. But Cooper, Cooper had some games where he had like 18 targets, and CD Lamb had like six or seven. Over the course of the season, season CD Lamb was cutting into the target lead that Amari Cooper had, and that leads into my next stat here there's hog rate. Hog rate actually looks at when a player is on the field, are they demanding, are they hogging the targets? Lamb had a slight advantage, but an advantage nonetheless, 14.9% hog rate versus Amari Cooper's 13.9% hog rate. Some would go it's because Prescott is a quarterback but we've also seen that backup QBs they they don't they don't start throwing to backup receivers they usually will force feed the ball to the number one receiver because the number one receiver is going to throw a fit if they don't get the ball sometimes it's uh, not a good result you know like you could think of maybe the struggles I know Baker's not a backup quarterback but the Baker and Odell Beckham connection or lack of a connection And really, my takeaway on that one is C.D. Lamb is, if he's on the same level of Amari Cooper last year, I would give it 50-50. But one of the reasons why Lamb can take over that number one receiver role is the stuff we have seen in the new year in 2021. It's not fair to Amari Cooper, but life's not fair. He's been dealing with an ankle injury. He hasn't been 100%. CD Lamb has been healthy. CD Lamb has been practicing. He's been practicing with one Dak Prescott. And that, that right there, just health, that should play a big part. Like, we need to be watching these entries. They matter. This is why, like, Miles Sanders, who a lot of people, myself included, thought would have a breakout year last year and would draft him at the tail end of the first round that Was one of the reasons why it didn't happen. He was hurt and injured <laughs> during training camp, and then you start the season at a disadvantage and you disappoint. Can that happen with Amari Cooper? I believe it's just a scope that he had done, which that shouldn't be a, a major uh, surgery, a major injury, or anything. But it's anytime you're getting surgery, nothing is completely minor. So that and that may be all it takes in this head to head. Competition for who the the number one receiver in Dallas is. Give me a slight edge there. C.D. Lamb, he's healthy. We saw improvement throughout the season, and he he took what used to be like this with Cooper and Lamb at the start of 2020, and he made it about this throughout the course of the season. Cooper, he'll still get fed. He may still see a hundred targets. Shoot, they may flip roles. It may be 130 targets. For C.D. Lamb this year, and Amari Cooper just seeing 100 targets. And I say just seeing but just over 100 targets. But that transition's going to happen this season. C.D. Lamb, that's the guy you want in Dallas.
0: You win. I couldn't agree more. Go get you some C.D. Lamb. Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I agree. Okay. Philadelphia, a the Eagles. The topic is Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, is he the late round quarterback to get?
1: Aaron, please go first. All right. I am taking the stance that Jalen Hurts is the late round quarterback. I may even say, I don't know, I've said it here on the podcast. I wrote an article back in February. When I say the late round quarterback, we're talking like what Josh Allen was this past season. In 2020 and Lamar Jackson 2019. Both of those quarterbacks were drafted outside the top 10 in terms of ADP in 2020 and 2019. They proceeded to lead the NFL in, or lead quarterbacks in fantasy points per game. Hertz has that same upside to do that in 2021. I don't believe any other late round quarterbacks have that potential. Here's why I know. It's choosing one game. But this one game matters. The New Orleans Saints in 2020, as a defense, allowed 249 quarterback rushing yards. That was the 10th fewest in the NFL last year. Jalen Hurts had his big fantasy football breakout performance against the New Orleans Saints. In that game, he was responsible of those 249 rushing yards Jalen Hurts single-handedly was responsible for 42.6% of that total. That we're approaching 50% of all the quarterback rushing yards that an that NFL defense allowed was from a rookie quarterback kind of thrust into a starting job, not really prepared. That rushing upside is key. There's a reason why he's a Konami code quarterback. In his three starts that he played the full game, he averaged 79.3 rushing yards per game. In the article that I wrote back in February, I compare him to the doing the, traje- the trajectory that Lamar Jackson did in 2019. Part of that was because of Lamar Jackson's rushing ability. He rushed for over 1,000 yards. And during that season, he averaged 80.3 rushing yards per game. Hurts, Allen can run. Allen gets the red zone touchdowns. He doesn't really get, he doesn't get the 80 rushing yards a game. Jalen Hurts is the only quarterback that can do what Jay, that can do what Lamar Jackson can do on the ground, which 80 rushing yards for a quarterback is here gives you a massive, massive advantage. But also, Josh Allen was was impressive because he has a cannon for it on. He could throw for a lot of yards because one of the things Lamar Jackson has not been able to do in 2019 and 2020, he's not going to beat you with his arm very often. In fact, he'll, he has only had four games in the past two seasons where he has thrown for over 250 passing yards. And an interesting but not really related stat on those is those four games have all occurred within the first three weeks one of 2020 i can't explain how he has never done it at the end of the season now josh allen in 2020 he had four games where he passed for over 330 passing yards allen gets most of his fantasy production because of getting those red zone touchdowns but he could also back it up because he would have these he had a couple of 400 yard passing games and, and the reason I mentioned the 330 passing yard games is Jalen Hurts last year in his three full starts, he had two games where he passed for 338 and 342 pass yards. Hurts is not just the second coming of Lamar Jackson in terms of rushing
2: upside.
1: Yes, he can get, he's shown in a small sample that he can average 80 rushing yards in which his low rushing total in, in those three games was 60 yards. He has shown an incredible rushing floor, but at the same time, can, can freaking fling that ball. And in those games, he did have a lot of pass attempts. He did have 44 and 39 pass attempts in the two games where he threw for over 330 yards. However, the completion percentage did not top 55% in either one of those games. He was, he was freaking flinging that ball far. So a dual threat quarterback that can kill teams with his legs, but then also maybe throw that 50-yard touchdown bomb that can get you a ton of fantasy points as well. The Konami code is key. When I look at these late-round ADP quarterbacks, Tannehill, who may not be there for much longer, his ADP keeps going up and up, but right now he's falling in that range of outside the top 10 in ADP at quarterback position. Trevor Lawrence, Matt Ryan, Parson Wentz, you take the rookie quarterbacks Trey Lance Justin Fields the reason I don't think the veteran quarterbacks could be the late round uh, the late round breakout quarterback they don't have anywhere close to the rushing upside Jalen Hurts has Justin Fields and Trey Lance they could in theory they could they they are mobile quarterbacks they're fast but the primary question is how many games are they, are they going to start with San Francisco if they're winning with Garoppolo they could do an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes 2.0. They could. So the question with the rookies is I could draft them, but maybe their breakout doesn't happen unless it's like Jalen Hurts last year where he doesn't do anything until week 12, week 13 of the season. So I I don't have faith in the rookie quarterbacks being the late round breakout going on one of one other one rushing, rushing stat between Jalen Hurts and the other two breakouts, the two previous years, in Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, as I took their rushing attempts, and I calculated how many of their rushing attempts went for a first down, because <laughs> keep things with Scott Fishbowl, we like rushing first downs. In 2020, Lamar Jackson saw 35.2 percent of his rushing attempts go for a first down. Josh Allen saw 37.3% of those rushing attempts go for a first down. And Jalen Hurts went for 47.2% of his rushing attempts go for a first down. He's definitely a scrambler. I feel like that could even translate to the red zone as well. Like if they they are clearly relying on him to get those all-important first downs, and we only have a small sample size, you compare red zone rushing attempts, it's the other two guys that got him beat. But those rush attempts for first downs can translate to those red zone zone scoring touchdowns. Hurts has the best of Josh Allen, where he has the arm to get those 300-plus passing yard games and get the the red zone carries for touchdowns. And he's got the best of Lamar Jackson, where he can actually rush for 60, 70, even 80 rushing yards. Jalen Hurts is taking those two guys, combining them, and now comes Jalen Hurts, 2021 number one quarterback, the late round quarterback breakout.
0: Okay, I am going to argue against that, and I'm going to come at you
2: probably way different than you think I'm going to. So, Jalen Hurts is not the late round quarterback why
0: because he's no longer late round in my opinion his adp has risen and it continues to rise he is now on average the 10th quarterback taken and it's probably going to continue to rise and i imagine if i were to look at the data and i used to have an account with what's the account what's the one that uh, player profiler uses fpc am i getting that right I used to, I had an account with them last year, so I, I really loved having that data. <clears throat> I don't have I'm not re signed up for this year yet, so I need to get that done. But from the ADP data I've seen, he's going sixth, seventh round. Okay, so <clears throat> to me, I can't consider him a huge value. Now, I don't disagree with anything you said. I love me some fucking Jalen Hurts. Let's go. I'm going to hurt if Jalen Hurts is not great, okay? I really am. I love this motherfucker too. I I, In the the Scott Fishbowl mock draft that we did, that was my first quarterback taken. I love me some Jalen Hurts. Now, that said, again, I think he's losing that value that he once had, Um, um, which is fine. I'll still take him. But I do think he's going to continue to climb up the boards a little bit. Probably started, like I said, they didn't draft a quarterback. You know, had to have started around then. And people realized, like, okay, this guy's going to get a chance at least. Yeah. And he's going to do great. So I'm all in on Jalen Hurts. But I do believe that uh, his value makes it as such that he is disqualified from this conversation. So. I bring to you two rookies as a matter of fact, because you mentioned some rookies, you just don't trust them. You just don't have the faith, but I object again, Mac Jones, Mr. Aaron, we had a a little bit of a debate about quarterbacks last week, right? And, uh, I'm coming around on your thought that really Mac Jones could be starting before Lance and fields. Okay. It's already been said there's going to be a quarterback competition. Plenty of scouts and NFL people in the know believed this Mac Jones to be the most pro ready quarterback at the moment. There's, Talk of sneaky scrambling ability, which wouldn't make sense. I mean, he does have solid burst and agility scores. I mean, that indicates it's possible. I I mean, I'm with you with the mobility factor and the rushing, uh, because not only you're talking about rushing yards, but you're talking about the ability to extend plays, something that even Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. So this is great to have. And it, even if he at least has some of that Russell Wilson to get out of the pocket and make, you, you know, that's great. And because you notice with those kinds of players that, that burst, that agility score, that shit's up there. Okay. Now, I think there's a very good chance he could even start week one. Cause I know, I do believe Mr. Bill Belichick is going to want his very best option out there come week four when he plays Tom Brady. (laughs) And that just might be Mac Jones. It just might be. So that's one. The other one would be the other rookie, Zach Wilson, that I don't believe you mentioned. Because he will be starting. He also has a bit of agility and some mobility. And we'll see what the kid can do but I'm willing to take a chance because he does have some weapons and uh, they're a little iffy at running back, but it might be interesting to see. There's a lot of people in this dude. He's the number two pick, you know, when it comes to Trevor Lawrence, we don't know. He's been kind of hurt fucking urban Meyer. I'm just going to say that just urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I'm I'm looking at Lance and Fields like, yeah, maybe it's, some I already feel like it could be a minute before Fields starts, and you might be right about Lance, might take him a little bit longer to get in there, and Wilson's going to be starting from the beginning, and uh, so I look at those two guys as ones you can grab that I think can be very productive this year and you know maybe they don't crack qb1 but i do think these are some late round quarterbacks you can target that will have success this year um who knows i mean justin herbert last year was the ninth quarterback overall at the end of the year i mean he was a rookie and everybody was like you you know tua and joe burrow and herbert Ninth quarterback in fantasy in 2020. So, you know, that's very possible that Wilson Jones, one of these guys, ends up ninth overall quarterback in fantasy in 2021. It's very fucking possible. So that's what I'm saying. If I'm looking at late round quarterback for value, I might be looking at one of those two guys. But that's not to take away from all the wonderful things you said about Mr. Jalen Hurts, because I am a fan as
1: well. I think that that is, I want to applaud your debate there, because you hit hit the major argument there. And it is the one that I do worry about, Jalen Hurts, is, yeah, he was my late round guy, but you're right. If that ADP does continue to rise, it would disqualify him. So I like some of the options you brought there. And the Justin Herbert... Comparison to last year is a wonderful one because the two rookie QBs you brought up were not the two I was expecting and maybe even preparing for. And and you're right; like it could be one of these rookie QBs that no one's talking about. And both those guys, uh, Zach Wilson, definitely will be a Week One starter, and Matt Jones could be Week One starter as well. So that is some excellent points you brought up there.
0: Thank you, sir. All right, we move on to the next debate topic, and that is, of course, the Washington football team. And with this one, we're going with who is more likely to fail at their because both Antonio Gibson and Terry Mac, uh, T Mac as I like to call him, Terry McLaurin, they are both going twelfth at their individual positions. So, which one is more likely to fail to live up to that ADP? And I'm arguing Gibson is more likely to fail. Now, this was tough because I initially walked into this going, I think it's TMAC. I hate to say it. I really do think it's TMAC. But if Antonio Gibson's going 12th, he has to finish as an RB1. That might be kind of tough considering all the motherfuckers in front of him. I mean, start going through the names. It's, it's very easy to see how he could not be an RB1. Very high-end RB2. But he could hit RB1 as well. But they do have JD McKissick there that they like. They like to, him to catch passes. That's a bit of a hindrance bit of a hindrance, takes away some points, especially in PPR leagues. And as you've mentioned, teams are more likely to use two backs because of the 18-game schedule, all of that. All right, 17-game, you know what I mean.
2: Yeah.
0: 18 weeks, 17-game. So I do think... That's all things worth looking at. Now, then you go to T Mac himself. I mean, he can build upon his wide receiver two finish from 2020, in which, by the way, he was first at wide receiver in snap share and route percentage. Now, you bring in Fitzmagic, the fucking gunslinger. Yeah. And at least while he's starting, he's going to sling it all over the place. He's going to love him some fucking Terry McLaurin.
2: Right. And even if
0: T-Mac comes close to that, because I understand they've added Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown. You look that snap share route percentage. Sure might take a slight dip, but he should still be really high. And with Fitzmagic magic and they're throwing him the ball. And once Fitz magic is gone, I do believe at some point they're going to give Taylor Heineke a chance. And this is a guy I got to see a bit of when he was in Minnesota with the Vikings. And I actually kind of like this kid. Everybody was like surprised when they saw what he did last year and, and at the end of the season. So, I'm like, I'm not that surprised. He's actually not that bad of a quarterback. So I'm actually interested to see when he comes in. I don't think he'll be terrible at at the worst. And he might even be a little Fitzmagic-ish at best. So I do believe T-Mac in the end is going to hit that wide receiver one status where, you know, as you look at, again... You look at Antonio Gibson; he's got to hit that running back one status. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Saquon, Aaron Jones, Zeke, Austin Eckler, Cam Akers, Joe Mixon, Josh Jake, there, I mean, J.K. Dobbins, John Der Schiff, Clyde edwards Hilaire, Miles Sanders, Chris Carson. Listen to all these fucking names. Yeah, I mean, it it, it it's. This could be crazy this year, as far as those, you know, those top twelve guys. So I, I think, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I feel as though T Mac is much more likely to live up to that ADP. What say you, Mister Mister Salary Captain?
1: So, I have the Terry McLaurin side, and for for listeners, just to make sure. The argument is that Terry McLaurin is more likely to bust at his ADP of being in the top 12 wide Mm -hmm. receivers than Antonio Gibson is at his position as a top 12 running back. Here are my reasons why my argument is going to be an anti-Terry McLaurin. Number one thing is one that everyone knows, but the wide receiver competition on the depth chart has changed drastically. Besides Terry McLaurin, last season there were four receivers that all played over 300 snaps. And so Terry McLaurin obviously led the receivers in snaps and then it was followed by these four players. Cam Sims, Steven Sims, Isaiah Wright, Dontrell Lemmens. All those four, Dontrell Lemon's already off the team. Isaiah Wright and Stephen Sims are competing for a roster spot, and if they get a roster spot, it might be the fifth or even sixth wide receiver spot. Kim Sims was a guy that showed a little bit of something. He showed that he can at least be a rotational piece, but probably best at best is like a wide receiver four on an NFL team. Maybe he could be a wide receiver three and start and be utilized with blocking. The point is, Terry McLaurin played with nobody that threatened him for targets. And it's true. Terry McLaurin finished with 134 targets. But the offseason brought some changes. Washington knew that they could not go and march those receivers out there, excluding Terry McLaurin. And their solution was they went and signed Curtis Inyo to a three-year you want to say $37 million contract was decent, decent money. They also drafted Diane Brown in the third round of the 2021 draft. That is day two draft capital. That's you're gonna see Diane Brown get involved in the offense. And they even brought in a veteran slot receiver in Adam Humphreys. And he was he was injured last year with the Tennessee Titans. We know that this is a guy that has shown sure he can play. He can play in the NFL. And Adam Humphreys compared to the other four receivers listed before that that played alongside Terry McLaurin, you're taking Humphreys over all those guys. Maybe Cam Sims showed that he was an NFL receiver. But needless to say, McLaurin got 134 targets. wasn't really competing with anyone. Now, yes, there were some guys in the backfield. Primarily J.D. McKissick, who saw a ridiculous 110 targets. I tend to think that that was more of a product of Noodle arm, Alex Smith not being able to throw the ball. And yes, they did upgrade at quarterback. They brought in Ryan Fitzmagic. Fitzpatrick. Fitzmagic? Or is it Fitztragic? The stats on Ryan Fitzpatrick are all, all over the place. Take 2020, for example. <laughs> he had a 56.5% Completion percentage on deep balls. That was good for number two in the NFL. He also had a 60% pressure completion percentage. That led the NFL. Holy moly, it's Fitzmagic. But then he also had a 71% number 29 clean pocket completion percentage. Like, what? How is a guy that's throwing deep, And throwing when he's under pressure, able to succeed there, but he apparently can't when he's got a clean pocket. It is funny. We don't know how good Fitzmagic actually is. In 2019, which was the season with the Dolphins before Tua, Fitzmagic basically started all the games. I want to say it was 13 starts, played 15 games, but 13 starts. Like we have a good sample size there. That deep ball percentage, that was 56.5%, number two. In 2019, that was 37.9%, number 15, right in the middle of the pack. So he's going to throw it deep and and respectable. That that pressure completion percentage dropped to 37.4%, number 13. So still right around the middle. But what we saw last year was Ryan magic at his best. And... There's a reason Ryan Fitzpatrick has jumped from team to team and usually plays two, maybe, maybe rarely three seasons at the same team. Goes to a new team, is excited, he shows a little bit. Inevitably, he gets replaced. Maybe by your guy, Taylor Heineke. Now, last season, Terry McLaurin. As I mentioned, 134 targets. Along with that, you had 87 receptions, 1,118 receiving yards. All three of those stats were top 15. Opportunity, and quite frankly, those, those stats matter. Opportunity, opportunity leads to fantasy points scored. We like the efficient players, but at the end of the day, if you're getting volume, that's how you're going to win. Despite being top 15 in all those stats, he finished as wide receiver 20 in fantasy points per game. Big part of that was the four touchdowns that, that he had last year. Four touchdowns way below. That's what held him back. In fact, in the red zone, he saw 13 red zone targets, came down with six receptions. Some people would go. They're playing with Dwayne Haskins for, what, a couple of games before they realize this guy ain't shit. And then noodled arm Alex Smith. And was Kyle Allen – Did he get some action last year? I honestly can't remember. It seemed to be a carousel Mm -hmm. of quarterbacks in Washington. But people would go, they got Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's going to be better, except Ryan Fitz tragic struck last season because, yes, he could throw deep. Yes, he could throw when he was was under pressure. But when it got to the red zone, that that was apparently his kryptonite. He had a 50% completion percentage, which was number 51 in the NFL. And it was not much better in 2019. But I did kind of think, and I actually tweeted this out before we jumped on the podcast. It was kind of funny. So to recap the three completion percentages, he had a 60% completion percentage when he's under pressure, a 56.5% completion percentage when he's thrown deep. But when he got to the red zone, 50%. The red zone's tough to complete passes, but my God, how can throwing deep and throwing under pressure, how could he do so much better with those than when his team was close to scoring? Fitz Tragic has not finished in the top 20 in red zone target percentage in the past two seasons. One to say he finishes wide receiver 22. So the only area that Terry McLaurin could possibly get better at with opportunities is Scoring more touchdowns. And I don't think that is a realistic option there. Like, yes, it should be higher than four because four is low with 134 targets. But I doubt it's going to be double digits. I really don't think it's going to double to eight. Like, I don't think we're seeing a ceiling of maybe six, maybe six. And yes, this last bit, maybe a bit coach speak here. It's Ron Rivera and his offense coordinator, Scott Turner, that followed him from Carolina. And one of the things that Ron Rivera said last year right, is Antonio Gibson's got some Christian McCaffrey to him. And we've seen some flashes where they utilize him quite a bit in the passing game. When you go back and you look at the Carolina teams from recent seasons, because Ron Rivera got fired in 2019, but then the following, and he was fired pretty late in 2019, but it wasn't he wasn't out of job very long because the following season was when he took the Washington job. And if Antonio Gibson has a little CMC in him, like Chris McCaffrey had the hundred target seasons. And yes, McKissick is going to be a foreigner that's time. maybe Chris McCaffrey, sorry, maybe Antonio Gibson doesn't have that hundred plus target ceiling or realistic outcome. But the what forty four targets that Gibson had, that should that should be a lot higher. This upcoming season, there's going to be more targets for Gibson. Curtis Samuel, who's had hundred targets in a Ron Rivera offense, he's going to be there. Logan Thomas still going to he's still going to get some work. I find it hard for Terry McLaurin to replicate the hundred and thirty four targets. Like everything, Gibson's going to be improved, and they went out and. Brought in better receiving talent. Well, are they going to do? They pay Curtis Samuel just to be a decoy? Yes, I want to say Cam Sims had 48 targets, and amongst receivers on Washington last year, that might have been number two. There's no way that Curtis Samuel sees 48 targets.
0: No, um, <clears throat> all I'm going to say in a little bit of disagreement is that. Um, I think we both know that sometimes getting a second solid fucking receiver in there can actually help that main receiver because it can take away some of that defensive attention. And I do believe Ryan Fitzmagic has a bit of a pattern where he goes and he starts out hot and he's Fitzmagic and then he falls to her. And the Fitz tragic happens. And I'm comfortable that at that point, when it is time to remove Fitzpatrick, that they're going to be able to turn to Taylor Heineke and not miss too much of a beat. Uh, That's my opinion, because I'm with you. I don't think Fitzpatrick is anything special, but I do think he kind of gets on this little, this little run and and then Mm -hmm. it always comes crashing down but it's kind of fun while it's happening and it's wild ride, but it will come crashing down and enter Taylor Heineke. And if he can kind of show what he showed last season, you know, they might be okay. And it's going to be nice to have those other weapons there. And I do think that all around, it's just a better situation for Terry McLaurin and maybe he loses some of those targets, but maybe the quality, maybe he does get more involved in the red I mean, we'll just have to say, I understand what you're saying with Fitzpatrick in the red zone and all of that, but uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, we'll see how it goes. It's that, de- that's definitely a good debate because really I kind of like both players. So that is definitely a fun one, but we'll move on to the final one, try and get through this one real quick. And then we will take a quick break and come back to finish cap off the pod with a quick defensive discussion. But our last, our last topic: We the people, and this is in reference to the Green Bay Packers, who, as you know, is owned by other people, as they say. So, if a Rod happens to get traded, the Aaron Rodgers, if he happens to get traded,
2: who does it affect more, fantasy wise, Aaron Jones, or? Devontae Adams,
0: Aaron, you go ahead, go first.
1: So if Aaron Rodgers is traded, it means there will be a new quarterback. Mm -hmm. the Packers, they hope it's Jordan Love. And I believe that Devontae Adams will be greatly affected by this, and that Aaron Jones, a little bit safer. He'll take a hit, but it will greatly affect Devontae Adams. Number one thing with the Green Bay Packers is, we have seen with this offense the past two years, that they are a slow offense. They don't actually pass the ball a lot. In fact, their pace of play last year was 2.00 plays uh, per minute, I believe is how player profiler uh, tracks pace. That was number 27 in the NFL. The year before, the the pace was 2.15, a little bit faster, but still that was middle of the pack. I did an article about true catch rate, and then I even tied it into pace of play. Pace of play matters. When you say it out loud, it makes sense. Slow offenses, you usually don't want the players on slow offenses. They're not scoring a lot of points. You want the the Patrick Mahomes flinging the ball to Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. And the Packers with the coaching staff that came from Tennessee, they want to establish that, that identity. When I mentioned the true catch rate article that, that I wrote, I picked on a player. I picked on a player that I love, that I want him to be the number one receiver in fantasy someday, and that's DJ Moore. Mm. Last season, DJ Moore had played on a Panthers team that ran a slow pace. They ran two, Their pace was 2.11. He had a 75.9% true catch rate, and that combination of – slow offense and a wide receiver that struggles to catch the ball to catch catchable targets is disastrous. DJ Moore last year finished with 14.1 fantasy points, number 27. He didn't even finish his wide receiver too. I'm not saying that Devontae Adams will take that type of free fall, but showing that slow slow-paced team, low true catch rate could be disastrous. Past two seasons, Devontae Adams 2020 is true catch rate 88.5%. It's a respectable number, 29 in the NFL. But the year before, just in 2019, its true catch rate 80.6%. Number 60 amongst wide receivers, and almost in that DJ Moore 75.9. In fact, one of the things I target is like the true catch rate is 80% or lower on on a team that projects to be a slow offense. Like yes, true catch rate. You you can't calculate, you can't guess it, you can usually have an educated guess. You're usually looking kind of for a trend. And Adams is not, he got a lot of easy, easy passes from Aaron Rodgers, and I'll dig into those numbers in just a moment, but that true catch rate is a bit of a concern. The Despite playing on a slow pasting, he did finish with a 34.1% target share, which Blew other receivers out, out of the water. Like I want to say the next highest might have been 29%. It's remarkable. And he had a 20.1% hog rate, which is number one amongst wide receivers as well. But what happens when Rogers isn't there for speeding the Baltimore? Because Devontae Adams, that's an Aaron Rodgers guy. It really is. Like Adams, Adams almost the Devontae Adams we know now. In a parallel universe, there's a Devontae Adams that doesn't even make it through his rookie contract. He he was not good early in his career. He was able to turn around, thank goodness. But is is he maybe just a product of Aaron Rodgers? We, we have seen that before, of elite wide receivers that lose their quarterback, and they're no longer that same type of player. Devontae Adams was heavily, heavily involved in the red zone. He had 27 red zone targets and 22 red zone receptions, number one at the wide receiver position. And when I say heavily involved, this is, this is because his 27 red zone targets was five more than the next highest, Calvin Ridley, who had 22, and the 23 receptions was seven more than the next highest, Adam Thielen. If Aaron Rodgers is not on this team, even if Jordan Love is targeting, peppering Devontae Adams, they're not getting to the red zone as, as much. They're just, they're not like Aaron Rodgers had an MVP season. He won MVP. It was ridiculous. He, he defied all most people's expectations. I even famously said that he would be a bust in 2020. Don't draft him as a QB one. And I have egg all over my face, but still it's, It's easy to project that he's not going to get 27 targets in the red zone, 22 receptions in the red zone, because that offense isn't going to move the same way with Jordan Love at QB. And that's not taking a shot at Jordan Love. like They're taking over for an MVP in this scenario. Looking at the efficiency stats, he benefited greatly from Aaron Rodgers. His target accuracy was 8.17. That was number three amongst receivers and he had an 87.2% of his targets deemed catchable, which came out to be an ungodly amount of 130 targets that were deemed catchable. Jordan Love isn't giving him 130 targets that are deemed catchable. We've also seen, this is my last point on this one, not quite an apples to apples comparison, but Michael Thomas last year, four game stretch, where he lost his longtime starting quarterback Drew Brees, replaced with a backup quarterback. Now I don't know Jordan Love, what Jordan Love is. Taysom Hill. We will say with Taysom Hill, he was actually completing a high percentage of his passes. He was still a backup caliber quarterback. Michael Thomas, in weeks 11 through 14, had Taysom Hill, the backup quarterback, throw the ball. In those four weeks, Thomas finished as the wide receiver 14, 47, 17, and 23. Yikes. Michael Thomas is a guy that was drafted as the wide receiver one going into 2020. And maybe a, a sign of what to expect if Aaron Rodgers does manage to get, trade, get traded is with a backup QB. Adams, he may still. Finish is a back end wide receiver. One more than likely, it could be a lot worse than that.
2: Okay, I'm going to say
0: it affects Aaron Jones more. Obviously, I'm taking the opposite stance. Now, first off, I do, I do agree that there's a possibility Devonte Adams is very much a product of Aaron Rodgers but i look at specifically this situation sounds like green bay wants to pay devonte a lot of money they want him here with jordan love now being a product of aaron rodgers that had to have helped his evolution as a wide receiver so he's a bit better off having played with aaron rodgers i would say um and I understand what you're saying about backup caliber quarterbacks. Uh, we don't know quite yet what Jordan Love is. And I can tell you this much. When it is his time, defenses are going to test him till they see what he can do, which means they're going to make it awfully tough for, for the teams to run because they're going to want to see him beat them by throwing the ball. Right. So that's one aspect. Then you look at the fact Aaron Jones is another one of my cell candidates this year because he's, again, back to back top five finishes. OK. Very unlikely he had said again, and particularly if he if if Aaron Rodgers is no more, then not only does he have does he lose the benefit? Is he fighting an uphill battle? because of his past production but then he's losing the benefit of having Aaron Rodgers next to him okay and then the defenses are gonna go oh yeah fuck yeah let's load up against Aaron and make Jordan beat us through the air and of course who else is he gonna fucking go to I mean it, you know I I kind of like I still kind of like MBS. I'm not going to lie. I don't mind him as like a bench receiver, but Amari Rogers is interesting. There could be someone that does step up as the number two there next year, but it is Devonte Adams and you yeah, got a little bit of Tanya, but I think, you know, if love can do anything at all, he's going to be able to get the ball to the best receiver on the team. I do believe that. I mean, Fuck, even DeAndre Hopkins, and I, I don't put Devontae Adams on the same level as Hopkins, obviously, but he was able to have plenty of success before Deshaun Watson got to Houston because there's a lot of junk there before Deshaun Watson. So <clears throat> that's just the way I look at it. it, it and, and you add an A.J. Dillon, they're going to want to get him involved. He was a high pick from last year. I mean, to me, I, I, I would actually – be kind of surprised if Aaron Jones does indeed hit that RB1 status this year the more I look at the total package and and if he's missing Aaron Rodgers I think it's very difficult to see him do that that's just where I'm coming from Um, but I definitely like both sides of the argument this is another interesting one I really like I really like that both sides of the argument on this one
1: is here on the Dynasty Wonderland. Sometimes we have to do some projections here. And we have to maybe assume that something crazy happens with Aaron Rodgers. So right. We want the listeners to know if that trade happens, what to expect, which is right. really chaos for everyone. <laughs> that, that's probably more the accurate
0: answer, is it? <laughs>
1: it's like we don't like it for either one. You're obviously dropping them, but right. you know, we want listeners. Come away, make a decision. Make a decision for yourself which player mm-hmm. you think is gonna drop more in, in the rankings. Cause neither one is going to be I mean, the reason we jump. the reason that this was such a, a good debate topic is they're literally going back to back ADP at the tail end of the first round.
0: That's, so right. 12,
1: That's right. 12 and 13. So we know if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, they're all, they're getting bumped at least a round, maybe yeah.
2: more. Yep. Agreed.
0: All right, buddy. Let's take another quick one, and then uh, we'll come back and wrap this shit up. Get into a quick defensive discussion. We don't talk a whole lot about that, right? I think around here, I think we might have talked some IDP maybe one time once, but uh, you know. So we'll get into a little bit of the special special teams defense discussion here coming up if we've got a couple ideas for some late round defenses to go after. So take a quick break and we'll be right <laughs> Back again, time to wrap this tea party up, but before we go, a little discussion. Special teams, defense, you know, the DST position in fantasy football. Now, real quick, I don't don't play in a lot of leagues that use this anymore, defense or kickers. I just, I pretty much stick to offense. And really, the whole kicker thing just bothers me. It's just like, I hate being in just like a redraft league and you get the kicker and just some random waiver wire kicker scores 30 points and you lose by three and it's just the dumbest shit. But I get it to an extent. But really, for me, I don't want kickers, particularly kickers, unless it's an IDP league. Because I feel like if you're going to go so far as to have all the defensive positions, you got to have the fucking kicker too. At that point, have the whole fucking football team, right? So, and for that matter, if you're going to have defense, you might as well have a kicker too. <laughs> but most of my leagues, no defense, no kicker that that I commish, and uh, we just roll offense. But if you're in a league that has DST positions, then we've got a little bit for you. No kicker talk, though. Okay.
2: Not today.
0: Um, (laughs) And this kind of late round teams, you could see, uh, uh, you know, outperforming their ADP. And, you know, it's not something I, I... Get a lot of experience with every year, this particular position with the team defense, but I'm going to go with, I think Denver is kind of a bit of an obvious candidate and if they could somehow get some better QB play and get that offense moving a little bit better. Javonta Williams could help, uh, whether it's Drew Lock or Teddy, or maybe they trade for Deshaun Watson, as I have mentioned previously in another pod. Whatever it is, if they can get better offensive production, that's going to help a defense that was already solid last year before all the additions they made this year. So I think that's a prime candidate. But really, a team I used to have an affection for, a strong affection for the Minnesota Vikings. They were all the way down in the twenties in defense last year. That's I may not be a big Zimmer fan, but his defenses are better than that. They made some additions free agency to draft. I believe they made some good moves. They got some guys coming back healthier this year. I believe they're going to turn that defense around. You know, they're going to make some noise with the offense. They're going to be okay there. So this defense should step up this year and be much improved and could be sneaky to sneak up and be a defense. Oh, you know, number one defense this year in fantasy. So I think Minnesota's one to definitely keep an eye on. And if you know you're in a league that's drafting these defenses, either one of these grabbing at the end of the of the draft could be ideal to help you. I, I really do. Um, and and you know, once to keep an eye on if you are thinking about streaming defenses, I mean, the problem is is it. If one of these to any team that really starts to climb up the boards, they're no longer going to be available. You're, you're going to have to hold on to them. So, and and, and fucking defenses. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just It's been a minute since I've really had to care about them. But I do think, honestly, when I look at defense, uh, probably my favorite one is Minnesota. I could see them really creeping back up the charts there. Uh, uh, you know, um, it's just not like e- even – even with the Vikings on/off playoff thing that they've been doing, they make it one year, miss it the next year. They've still had a pretty fucking good defense every year. That last year was the worst. I mean, really, Price and Zimmer's first year. So I believe there'll be quite a big improvement from that defense. Well worth it at the end of the draft.
1: Certainly, some of the some of the defenses I like, and I'll start just briefly. It's usually more of kind of a game theory, right? When I'm targeting defenses, because Mm -hmm. I'm of the belief that a good defense starts on offense when it comes to fantasy football. What I mean by that is it starts with the quarterback specifically with one key thing. I don't want a defense with a quarterback that is going to throw the ball erratically. That leads to interceptions so when you mentioned Denver, I do like like just the, the talent and everything. It's there. And then, holy crap, if they get Aaron Rodgers, yes. true luck scares the crap out of me. Because if he happens to be the, the quarterback, all it's going to take is all those bad passes and so many, so many interceptions that lead to a short field. And then that short field leads to the defense technically giving up a, a – touchdown although it's more on the offense this fall it it stinks so sometimes we have to kind of think things through on this one and um I want the quarterbacks that aren't going to put the ball in harm's way is the major thing and a team a defense or sorry an offense that is capable of running the ball effectively and take time off the clock I know it seems really simple for the concept of Don't turn the ball over and give a short field and also control time of possession. So the, so the other team has the ball best, but usually works pretty well. What I tend to find in, in years past that defenses that work is usually ones that people go, what, why that defense? Like Kansas city last year was, was a fun defense because they would jump out to these, these early leads. And then what then happens is the other team is trying to play catch up they're throwing the ball and those those are the plays that that we're looking for for big points in uh in fantasy football because when the ball's thrown there's a chance for an interception there's a chance for a pick six so if quarterback play is one of the things they look for for a team's dst the other thing is the secondary i love it when a team has a stacked secondary so there's two teams that really caught my attention that I don't feel are getting a lot of love. And I, when I put this in the show sheet and was talking with Ryan here, I said, look, the Rams, the Steelers, the Ravens, these teams go early. But if you're listening to this podcast, Ryan and I, we, we definitely are not going to be one of the first ones drafting defenses and neither should you, the listener. So we are trying to find these defenses that maybe outside the top eight, top 10. I'm looking for some deep ones that I can really wait to the last round. First one is the Cleveland Browns. I love Mason Baker Mayfield when it comes to his ability as an NFL quarterback. He, last year, had 21 danger plays and 10 interceptable passes. 21 danger plays was number 29. The interceptable passes, this is remarkable. Number 35, he played all 16 games. There's 32 starting quarterbacks. And 34 quarterbacks had more passes deemed interceptable than Baker Mayfield. We talk about being adverse to risky passes. That's Baker Mayfield. Maybe not having Odell Beckham there. Maybe that helps because you're just doing a lot of (coughs) quick passes to Jarvis Landry. But nonetheless, Baker Mayfield showed that what he may lack in putting up some big fantasy points it's taking care of the ball. On top of that, talked about controlling the ball on the ground is Nick Chubb. And you could definitely you could definitely say that his middle name must be Ethan. Nick Ethan Chubb. Because this is unbelievable. There is a stat on player profiler that is yards created per touch. So for running backs to take out the yards that are blocked by the offensive line, although those are important for running back success. Nick Chubb averaged 3.15 yards created per touch. You go to the data analysis tool and you sort yards created by touch, and there's Nick Chubb and everyone else. And some of those running backs that are up there, they don't have a lot of touches. Unlike Nick Chubb, Chubb is (laughs) – I I don't think he gets enough love in, in fantasy football because you go, oh he doesn't catch passes. All, all, I love you, need Nick to do, you just give him the ball. and he, he's going to make plays.
2: Yeah. His rushing up.
1: Yeah, and we we all should. And at the very least if you don't love him in fantasy, like you need to you need to love this guy just as an NFL running back because between Baker Mayfield's ability to protect the ball and not, you know, give short field um, to opposing offenses, and Nick Chubb just he can't stop them. Like they're going to control time of possession. Like that is, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty certain, I have said this before. That's my dark horse team to win the Super Bowl. Mm. I love everything they are doing. That this yep. has been a team that's been put together, even, like mean. brick by brick, for years now. And Andrew Barry, the GM, put the final bricks of this foundation here with the defensive upgrades. He has brought in defensive pass rushers and Jadavian Clowney and Tavares McKinley. I think that's his first name there. Uh, And linebacker, they brought in Walker, uh, the guy that that played for the Colts, a 16-game starter. I think it's Anthony Walker. And in the defensive backfield, they brought in two guys from the Los Angeles Rams that had, had the best fantasy defense last year, and that was quarterback Troy Hill. And safety, uh John Johnson. I think is it John and John or Johnny Johnson? But two two defensive starters from the Rams. And then they also drafted Newsom in in the second, no, first round. Yeah, i will be there on that one. Is was Newsom. Newsom was their first round pick, I believe. But while I'm verifying, just to make sure like the, the thing I talked about in terms of just defenses is the defensive backfield. I mm-hmm. love it when there's talent in that backfield. And when you look at Cleveland, this is just defensive backs, by the way. There's two first-rounders, three second-rounders, and two third-rounders. That's seven players with day one or day two draft capital. And this does not include Troy Hill, who's going to be their nickelback. He was actually un- undrafted. So Greg Newsome, the, the quarterback, that was their first round pick. So they they have so much draft capital, so much talent. They they are deep. I mean, Ronnie Harrison the safety, is their their third safety. Uh they have Greedy Williams and MJ Stewart are former second round picks. Um, and those are those are like their what their third, fourth cornerbacks. And it's needless to say, they've got they've got guys on the bench that were trying to be starters in the NFL. Now, will they? M.J. Stewart? Probably not, but still. They know to keep investing draft capital in that backfield. And all those veteran additions in the front seven as well. This, this the offense is going to help the defense and the defense got talent upgrades. I think Cleveland Browns could easily be a top five defense. The, the other team is going to be a lot shorter for me, but they hit a lot of the same things is the Green Bay Packers. The offense, for the most part, is the same. They did lose their starting center. Now, they cover a lot of the same the same things that the Cleveland Browns do. Quarterback play. If Aaron Rodgers is there and doesn't get traded, he's just coming off an MVP season, and he he is he doesn't throw many interceptions. Even before his MVP season, he combined for six interceptions in two years. Along with that. They love to run the ball. And as I talked uh, during our, our Green Bay Packers debate, they are a slow-paced team. they are going to slow that game down. And that means less opportunities for the opposing team to score. On top of that, their backfield is in their defensive backfield. is not nearly as good as the Cleveland Browns. But they, too, also invested a first-round pick on a cornerback. And Jair Alexander... You just don't throw to him. <laughs> so, the Green Bay Packers have the ability to get out to a lead. Then they can rely on that running back duo of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And Rodgers is going to make sure to keep drives extended. And teams are going to be so frustrated. And a, a very two impressive stats on the offense is they were number one in the NFL in percentage of their offensive drives that resulted in a score. They were also ranked 32, so they, they were best. Like They had the lowest percent of their offensive plays result in turnovers. Good offense helps the defense. We don't want short fields, and, and especially it seems that those northern teams, because I just chose an NFC North and an AFC North team, those teams have a bit of advantage, especially if it's late, mid to late season and we have bad weather games. Those defenses have to be built to handle that type uh, of stuff. So love the Packers, love the Browns. Like I think those two defenses, I was seeing going outside of the top fifteen. I'm like that is shocking. Like that's why I'm not going to draft a defense before the last round. I'll draft a kicker before I draft a defense because I can find. I'm looking for traits. I'm not looking for for teams because the truth is. You're not sticking with a defense for the entire season or even probably longer than like two or three weeks. Right. These are defenses that Ryan and I both love that you can get at an affordable price.
0: Yes, sir. All right. Okay. One last thing. It's something I brought up a while back, which is one last thing before we get the hell out of here because it's fucking late for us. It's fucking late. <laughs> so. I just wanted to quickly run through uh, the idea that I had for a new type of league. It's something I came up with a few years ago, and uh, then last year I revised it, never got it off the ground. But Aaron, here it is. I call it the Kingdom League. Now, in the Kingdom League, this will be a 12-team PPR Superflex Keeper League, you keep 10 10 players, you start, obviously, QB, the super flex, two running backs, three receivers, tight end, and then an additional regular flex. You have nine bench spots, and you will be part of, in this league, there will be three divisions, otherwise known as clans, okay, for the kingdom league. The waiver wire will be blind bid, $200 fab. And then you get into some of the crazy rules. Okay. The clan with the most points every week will be the head clan for that week. They get an additional $25 of, $25 of fab per team. And then there's lots of other little rules that I considered. Like I said, this is more a revised edition. I had other little rules to this like Every four weeks, the last place teams in all the divisions would be randomized and switched into other divisions or clans. Um, if If a clan won three weeks in a row as the head clan, if they got the most points, three weeks in a row as a clan, they'd get a reward like picking another clan to be banned from the waiver wire for that week,
2: uh, things
0: it. like that. So I had additional ones like that, but like I said, I kind of revised it. So, but there was the rest of this stuff I kept in, which is one of the rules, the winner of the championship must sacrifice one of their top five scores. It's their choice. One of their top five scores on their team must sacrifice that player. Because winning costs in more. You lose a good man to take that title. So that's one of the crazy aspects of it. And that also ties into what I call the maggot bowl, which is the consolation bracket, the, you know, the toilet bowl type thing, the maggot bowl of the non-playoff teams. Well, whoever wins the maggot bowl will receive said cut player from the championship team. Hmm. So it makes, gives you that incentive to try and play for a little something. And it's not a pick or anything like that, but a player. So, but however, the very last place team in the league, they are excommunicated. Whoever finishes last, excommunicated. They are allowed after one year of an absence to get in line to return to the league, to take over one of the next teams or the next team, you know, because that would keep going. Every year you get a team excommunicated, you bring in someone else. So after a year out, you're allowed to get, try and get back in. But every year someone in last place team excommunicated. And then there's trading aspects. No trading out of clan. You have to trade within your clan unless you are the head clan. And then you may make offers to other teams. The playoffs, the clan with the best overall record will take four of the six playoff spots. So that's another incentive to try and get your clan to the top because your whole clan makes the playoffs. And then the clan leader will choose one other team within the clan. And those two will have the bye weeks. So whoever essentially is in first place in the, in the top clan, he'll get to pick someone else in the clan to join him on the bye week. And then the other two teams will obviously go to the other clan slash division leaders, winners, and the non-playoff teams in the Maggot Bowl, and that's all there is to it.
1: Interesting. I like it. Like, I like... <laughs> it's crazy. I know it's crazy. It's because I was almost thinking of. Um... Like, I like the idea of plans and having, I was thinking of, like, the show Survivor, right? Right. Like voting people out.
0: That's what I'm saying. It's not like, I still feel like it's not perfect. Like, the idea is good. But so feel free. Take some time to think about it. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you want to help me fucking think of how to roll this thing, we yeah. might be able to try and set it up.
2: Because it's I definitely think.
0: I, f- I feel like there's some good stuff there but I feel like it still needs to be refined. So I cuz
1: I'm at the point with fantasy football leagues that I don't when people invite like I love playing fantasy football but I have to I have to be considerate of the ones I join because it's a lot of that's a good time investment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it requires quite a bit so what will always intrigue me is when I have extremely unique leagues, like I, I think I've mentioned this before on a previous podcast. At one point I had six leagues that were basically all like the same. And it's like, my God, I'm almost bored <laughs>
2: right. out
1: of my mind. I am tired of fantasy football because it's like, it's just the same. old. the waivers are the same and all that. That's... So I always like it when there's something a little, a little unique, like a, uh, the Good old um guillotine leak. I am pumped
0: for that. Probably, oh, dude, probably I'm gonna
1: so get my toolkit, but... <laughs> some, <laughs> No, you, mean, you lessons know, learned, yeah. <laughs>
0: you, you never know, man. You might, you might uh draft well and kick some ass. So, <laughs> it, it, hey, it's a. Uh, it, I'm with you though, because I kind of get points where I get just start getting a little burnout and I'm like, uh, eh, it's still fun, but you know, and then it's like, oh, super flex, yeah, let's yes. get into super flex, and then it and then like like i said a couple two three years ago it was the guillotine league i was like oh yep. fuck yes this thing is great and uh so <clears throat> yeah man it's uh it's it's fun to find new ways to do things and i've been trying to think of of a way to do it and uh that was my revised edition and like i said. Feel awesome. free to think and ponder on it, and uh, if you have anything to add, maybe we can work together and figure something out. Because I, I think I think we could use a new kick-ass style of league, and uh, I think there's some if, good ideas in there. So, all right, some, all right, Aaron. Some before people
1: uh, in the underworld to maybe join, uh, right? I we could but that'd I, be fucking I'd, awesome? I like to think of something unique. Um, I think besides that, my, my Oh I you know the one thing I'm, I want to mention is I actually have articles upcoming because I have been very busy on, on holiday where people are drinking and try not to blow off their fingers with fireworks. Mm-hmm. I opted for the just sitting down in a dark room with music on and pumping out an article. So I got two coming out. One is One is actually going to be for uh, the sister site of Player Profiler, the Breakout Finder. Breakout Finder does have a website. And I'm trying to, I I, I love the Breakout Finder app. Mm -hmm. I love anything and everything that is related to Roto Underworld. And I always want to do everything I can to help with anything that I can with a site, Uh, you know, whether it's, the the helping out with the draft kit. Uh, That was a blast. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's been a few months since I've pumped something out for breakout Finder. my debut piece there. I had an ambitious idea. I'm not sure if it quite went the way I would like it. So it's almost a redemption piece of sorts. I ran some numbers. I uh, believe that there's a breakout running back uh, lurking uh, ready to, ready for 2021 because you're supposed to break out in 2020 and it didn't happen, but the numbers show that it wasn't a complete flame out there. Uh, I'll have to save that running back. You know, you just have to, the listeners will have to wait for the article to come out. That That's one's right. a breakout finder. And I am actually starting a brand new series on roto o This is going to be a fun one it, because it involves dynasty rookies and what this series is, is it's going to be a range of outcomes. Utilizing the best comparable players tool on player oh, profiler nice. as kind like of a, a guide. Like we always have to be careful using best comparable players. Right. But I want to dive into, I if you have a subscription player profiler listeners, there is on the data analysis tool, you can find a player's five best comparable players. Now, If you don't subscribe, you can always see a person's best comparable player, but I like to go into the five best comparables and be like, okay, so players that are similar size, athletic ability, production in college, how well have those players done in the pros? What is, what's a player's possible ceiling? What's their floor? I had a blast on the first one. Um, It is actually going to be on the three top rookie running backs. So that is Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and a personal favorite of mine might have been Javante a little biased, um... Javante Williams. And I will mention one thing on that article that I had a blast. It is not in his best comparable players. Javante Williams actually does not have a lot of like relevant um, best comparable players of the trio. Like his, like you, if you look just at best comparable players, you're like, Oh, that <laughs> is a rough, List, but most of those players were like undrafted, or they were a six-round small school player that just played special teams. It's like that doesn't like Javante Williams was drafted early second round. We can't say we can't look at those best comparable players and say Javante Williams floor is he ends up three carries in his career. Like that just isn't going to happen. Javante has enough draft capital that there has to be a better floor and. An interesting comparison that I hadn't really picked up on is side-by-side, just looking at their workout metrics, Javante Williams and Aaron Jones, just look, I I encourage you to look at those two profile pages side-by-side and you're like, holy moly, just from the workout metrics and the size and everything, they're similar, which I hadn't... I. I was just kind of writing and just kind of what what the data was showing me. And then I had the perfect final sentence of that article there because I said, huh, I wonder what an MVP quarterback in Green Bay can do with Javante Williams, who resembles Aaron Jones. So might have been a bit of a stretch there, but that was kind of the fun thing of writing that article is I did not intentionally go into it comparing Javante Williams and Aaron Jones. Somehow, I think I was, the data analysis tool, you can download stuff into Excel spreadsheets. And I think mm. that's how I started to go, these players have some pretty similar numbers there. And that's how I kind of started making that connection. So I, just a little fun one. I You heard it here first, Javante Williams, Aaron Jones comparison. Ooh.
2: There you go. I was gonna say, do you
0: have anything to plug? You got lots of shit to plug.
1: <laughs> uh, I got two things, I'm, and I'm about to hit and do more articles, probably not tomorrow. I have my writing Wednesdays. So looking again, another article started, completed, edited for player profiler Wednesday. Needless to say, I'm gonna keep Ray busy.
2: <laughs> and
1: right. we're gonna have plenty of stuff like for both player profiler and breakout finder because I will also have to do a 2021 breakout wide receiver. So I've got breakout running back. I now have to research and find the breakout receiver for 2021.
2: There you go.
0: Hell yeah, hell yeah! I'm excited. I'm hoping to get back, you know, on the article train myself this week or next week. And really, I'm looking forward to training camp so I can start preparing. Uh, uh, because you you mentioned a series, I am going to be once again, doing the infirmary series this year, which I'm very excited about. I love dealing I love with it. the injury stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm not a medical expert or anything. I don't know any about, it. but as far as tracking what happens to guys, how they're long, they're going to be out and then doing the job of trying to figure out who benefits from the absence of that player. I, I love, I love getting into that stuff. So <clears throat> I'm going to be doing the infirmary and I'm going to have like a pre-season like big infirmary. So it's going to be awesome. And uh, so I'm very excited for that. But I'll I'll have some other stuff coming out eventually. So good times. Look for all our content, player profiler, all of that. next. I may.
1: Oh, I've got. Oh, I think you were about to hit on the next week. I was
0: going to say next week we got Mr. Josh Larkey joining us on the show. That's right. And we actually have guests planned out for the, for the next few weeks. So mm-hmm. we've got a nice fun fill. We're not going to get to too much detail right now, but next week we do have Josh Larkey. we got plenty of guests coming up after that. So good stuff. Uh, we should be able to have some fun here in the NFL downtime. So Aaron, do you have anything else left to say to the peoples, my friend?
1: As always, it was a blast doing this podcast and I can't wait to have some guests join us. Oh, so yeah. It's going to be fun.
0: That is right. That is right. I agree. All right, everyone. <sighs> enjoy your week. Please, please enjoy. And hey, from the matter, the, the- mark chair, we'll talk to you later. Oh, Scott Fishbowl. Oh, happy Show. fishing, motherfuckers. Until next time,
2: be yeah. the delay, lady for the dynasty delay.